Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Hitting for the Cycle. I'm your host, Hank and Dichter, and we got a good amount of stuff to talk about. It's been an exciting week, opening week of baseball, and a lot of crazy things happening, but a lot of which happened to the local teams, and some other cool stuff around the league. But before we get into that, I'd like to give you a reminder to follow us on, on our social media, at Review and Preview Sports. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. And I'm and before we get into the Yankees, I'd like to bring up a good friend of the program of Review Preview and one of our first guests for the show, Kyle Russo. Kyle, how's it going? How you doing, Hank? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm very happy to be on this second episode of uh, Hitting for the Cycle. Happy for the invite. Very excited for the show. Yeah, me too. We got a lot of stuff to cover with the Yankees. Some good, some bad. And well, you know, it's the first week of baseball. I'm not really going to get too wound up about what happened. But uh, so the first series against Toronto, I don't really think that bothered me too much. I mean, I know two of them were really close games, but I think we pretty much know the Blue Jays are going to be a threat over the course of the season. What say you? I mean, of course we knew they were going to be a threat, Hank, but more so not the third game uh, of the series, but the first game, you know, opening day. You're at home. You got fans back in the stands. Uh, Garrett Cole's the ace. Pitches a beautiful game. Yes, let up a, a game-tying home run. But just in the fashion in which they lost, had to go to the extra innings. They couldn't hit against Merriweather. It just – it was very – it was disappointing. You know what it is? It's gut-wrenching at the same time. Even though you know you have 161 other opportunities, that's not a game that you want to lose. Yeah, no. These games could really come back to haunt later – caught you later in the season and I think one of the big things that bothered me on opening day they went 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position I mean that that's something we've been seeing time and time again with the Yankees and I know people like to call me crazy when I say the offense can be just as much of a problem as the pitching but if you watch their losses in recent years like those one or two run losses those those things always happen yeah and they happen most of the time and Hank you kind of alluded to it in the past more so their problem wasn't hitting it was more i mean their problem was hitting this yeah. year they're they're one of the top teams in terms of hitting getting on base they're just struggling to get those guys back to home uh whereas in seasons prior they weren't even getting on base they were just hitting for the fences so it's very frustrating to watch that you know you're having that sort of success and then teams in you know you have these players in scoring position and, and you're seeing with a lot of different players and one of the biggest surprises and i don't know if we were planning on talking about this but dj lemayhu as well has been playing up to that clutch magnitude that we've seen him play the last two years when runners are in scoring position. Yeah, I know. That's been pretty concerning, and especially that at-bat that he had in the ninth inning. That was not very characteristic. Like, I saw him – he came up. He had a ground ball right to the third baseman. Like, if he had a, hit, a, hit that ground ball any, anywhere else in the field, we don't have an issue with that. Yeah, But he definitely did not do his job with one out in that inning. Real, That was such a killer, and – I'll tell you what, the crazy thing about that inning, Mike Talkman, I'll give you a fun fact. He was actually the first Yankee pinch runner to steal like two bases in one inning in franchise history. Fun fact. Fun fact. Yeah, I know we do a lot of those fear at review and preview. And um, another thing I want to get into, uh, Gary Sanchez. He's been he's been raking so far this season. I, I like the start he's getting into. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, Gary's back. It's all good. Yada, yada, yada. Still plenty of season to get into, but um, Kyle, what do you think of this good start? I mean, you couldn't have scripted it any better, right, for Gary Sanchez, Hank. Opening day, you know, he hits the home run to open things up. He, he throws a runner out at second base. 
over the mound. I mean, it, it couldn't have gotten any better. This is the type of level of play that we saw from Gary Sanchez back in, what was it, 2017, Hank, that, you know, this guy can evolve to be one of the best catchers in baseball. And, uh, again, small sample size because he hasn't even played all six games. I think he sat out uh, – I know at least one of them. I'm not sure if he sat out two. But you got to get through a full season. If he plays like this continuously, then you know. Then you know that you have an opportunity to be with this guy for the long run. And I think that when you look at this Yankees team, and Hank, you know this obviously being the diehard Yankee fan that you are, is that there has been major question from the fan base whether Gary Sanchez should be a part of this team long term because of the previous years being so atrocious, because of his batting average being so down. And yes, people had down years last year because it was COVID-19, but that was another down year to add to a previous down year for Gary Sanchez. So there's a cause for concern. But knowing that the Yankees organization as a whole has faith in him to bring him back, and what I was actually surprised about is that, Hank, if you remember last year, Garrett Cole was vocal about it, that he didn't feel comfortable pitching to Gary Sanchez. And then opening day, you know, who's who's right there? Yep. And more so helping him out. I like the fact that a lot of ground balls were stopped instead of letting go right by Gary Sanchez. So there has been improvement there, and we see that. And I think that's why you're seeing him get that extra opportunity and another chance from this Yankees organization. Yeah, so far I've been seeing a lot of, you know, improvements with Gary on that front. Blocking the plate definitely helps. And um, another thing that I noticed on opening day, now this is a little thing, but the fact that he legged out that that single, like it's not something that's obviously going to get talked about, but if you saw that ground ball play out like two or three years before that, you would assume that he's going to be out. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. So – yeah, it's definitely something to look forward to. I think the one downer was in that last game against the Orioles, which we'll definitely get to. He had that big hit in the bottom of the fr- bottom of the eighth inning that the Orioles left fielder just missed, but he ended up only at first base. When had he been running hard on that, he probably could have been at second. But then again, looking at that fly ball, I think naturally a lot of people would assume that that would be an out. So I'm gonna kind of give them a pass on that, just maybe a little, but. All things considered, Gehrig's doing okay. And would you like to hear another fun fact, by the way, Kyle? Of course. Why not? He is the first catcher. Actually, he is the second catcher in Yankee history to do this. The first catcher since Elson Howard to hit home runs in the first few games of the season. Pretty pretty impressive when you consider the history of catchers for the Yankees. Absolutely. And I think another positive over the course of this week has definitely been the pitching. I'll definitely get to get to Garrett Cole later, but um, Corey Kluber looked pretty solid in that first game. Obviously he didn't get the win, but you know, 74 pitches over like four plus innings. That's something that like, that's something you'll definitely take. And I know it it stunk that he couldn't get the win, but he's someone that I definitely can see the Yankees relying on as, as a solid three starter. Obviously I think, I think people like Herman and uh, maybe Tyon are the guys that you would probably rely on at number two, but all things yep. considered, I'll take what I saw from uh, Kluber. And, um, you know, Herman didn't have that good start in game three, but although Michael King definitely bailed him out. He actually made history. I think he was the first first Yankee pitcher since 86 to get six shutout innings, like, after, like, the starter. So that was pretty impressive. I think the only, again, the only downer of that first game was they left guys on base, couldn't get enough runs to overcome that 3 nothing hole. Yep. So that, that was, it was a disappointing series loss, but, you know, it is what it is. The and Orioles series, though, yeah. that first game was amazing. I like what I saw from Jordan Montgomery. I think he's a guy that will definitely be an X factor in the rotation for sure. I mean, remember, this is someone who missed most of 2018 and almost all of 2019, didn't really come back until September. And then he, and then 2020, obviously, we know what happened there. So I think this is a real prove-it year. And so far, he's looked pretty good. Six shutout innings against the Orioles. And yeah, I know people aren't really looking at the Orioles as a legitimate team, but I, I still think that counts for something. Like first oh, game back after a while, I think that's huge. It definitely counts for something. And, and you know, that's something that uh, I wanted to get to with the previous series with Kluber as well, is that mm-hmm. that was essentially, Hank, probably his first baseball game in, what, eight, almost two years? Because he only pitched, what, an inning last year before getting hurt? It's been a long time for him, and, and that was a very impressive start. Again, not the inning length you'd like to see the, out of your second guy, coming up to start for you. But again, he's an older guy. You know what you're going to get. But as long as the bats produce, which they did, and although he didn't get the win, I think Weisinger got the win, I want to say. or uh, um, Are you talking about the Balt- the first Baltimore? No, I think he no, did. No, 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 no. I'm talking about uh, in Toronto in that series. The no, yeah, game. you're right. You're right. It was a Weisinger. Yeah. 
Boazia got the win. Again, I consider that highly impressive what Kluber was able to accomplish. Again, am I expecting, you know, the masses? Am I expecting 10 strikeout games like back in the day with the Indians when they were competing for World Series? No. You know what you're going to get from them. But I'm happy that they were able to get a solidified second starter uh, in a questionable rotation entering this year, losing so many of their guys like a Tanaka, like a James Paxson, who, by the way, I don't know if you just saw it, James Paxson is going in for Tommy John now. So uh, not a good situation there. That's tough to hear. Tough to hear. Yeah, as much as I was rooting for Paxson, although I know not everyone was, and this is probably an un- unpopular opinion, I was definitely hoping he would do better. But I think the Yankees definitely dodged the bullet right there. And uh, let's get to some of the comments. James Montefusco is first. <laughs> Kyle, how's it going? And, of course, we got Tom, the boss man. Gentlemen, gentlemen, always good to hear from you, Tom. And uh, let's go with Sam. Elgar, he knows his butt is on the line. If he's doing so poorly, he's doing his best. Is Gary Sanchez the Evan Engram of the Yankees? Tom, you know I've made that comparison multiple times with you on Big Blue Avenue. Yes, he absolutely is the Evan Engram of the Yankees because both are very talented and you know they can do better. But with that having been said, they also are maddeningly inconsistent and they frustrate the fans. So I think I stand by that comparison. It's a good comparison. I think the only differential between that comparison is that Gary Sanchez has had like epic seasons compared to Evan Ingram, who really hasn't had that notable season yet. Yeah, that's true. But either way, I'm still keeping my fingers crossed. And uh, let me knock on this wooden table for you. What is it, year five now for Evan Ingram? Year four going in this year? Yeah, no. Both both are guys that have that have made little parts of my hair here turn gray. <laughs> but um, anyways, I think one of the big things that happened also besides Montgomery pitching six hundred innings was that grand slam from Stanton. Holy cow, 471 feet. If I'm not mistaken, I believe that is the second longest home run ever hit at Yankee Stadium. The first you might remember, you've seen it in the intro video. It's Aaron Judge hitting the 495-foot bomb against Baltimore in 2017. But I think that was was pretty big because Stanton obviously is a polarizing Yankee. He's pretty much been getting booed for a lot of things, and understandably so. I mean, when you get that big of a – when – you acquire that big of a contract, you're expected to produce. And as fair or not, or as it is or not, that's what the fans do. But seeing him bet that home run was big, even if it was like contributing to blowout, I loved it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's also a part because the fans already know what the storyline is, Hank, right? He's already been sat a game, and, and Aaron Boone has been vocal about that. That's the method that they're going to do with their DH. He's not going to be a guy that's going to play and be in the lineup every single day. Because yeah. they want to keep this guy healthy. It's been a formula that they have yet to figure out over the course of now. What? This is his third or fourth year with the Yankees. They have mm-hmm. to figure out a way to keep this guy healthy. Because when he's healthy, he may not be a guy that's going to have a terrific batting average. But when he connects bat on ball, that's going that's going into the stands. Definitely. And it's why he's one of the more exciting players to watch despite this, despite these frustrations. Now, another guy, it's funny you should mention injuries because I was I was just going to use that as a segue to bring, to bring up this player, Aaron Judge. Now, we know he also hit a home run in that game, too. That was a typical Yankee Stadium short porter in right field. But we also know he sat out yesterday with what was described as soreness on his hip. What's your uh, take on this? Are, are we concerned right now with the health of Judge? I mean, aren't or I should we say, always- how concerned are we? Aren't, aren't we always, Hank? Aren't we always concerned? That's the stigma with this Yankee team, right? That's why they're uh, in yet of the last four or five years, they're yet to be the at the finish line with that World Series championship. And it's been because of health because the Yankees have had nothing short of talented roster after talented roster. It's come down to health. And obviously anything with these guys is is some sort of indication and some sort of thing as a fan and just from a viewer, it's like, oh, here we go again. You know, hopefully, you know, this little thing doesn't amass into something later on in the season when we really need you in the playoffs or the the down in the trenches in June, July, and August to really pick up the pace and start winning games and be available. Because as you know, Hank, the best avail- uh, the best ability is availability, and that's something the Yankees haven't had. So obviously it's not something you want to hear only, what, five games into the season for Aaron Judge? But again, hopefully it's just soreness. You know, like I said with Giancarlo Stanton, they'll probably have a similar approach with Aaron Judge where – He's not going to probably play every single day. Does that mean that he's not going to, he's going to be, you know, 
by game where he plays game one and doesn't play game two, but plays game three? Probably not. But you might see in situations, especially against some of these uh, lower line teams like an Orioles, right? That was probably the plan. The Orioles are a team that wasn't necessarily to be thought of, especially after blowing them out seven to nothing. That's why you could, as Aaron Boone, the manager, the manager, and probably as an organization, you could feel comfortable with the decision and say, hey, we don't need you today. Take the day off. But yeah. again, in, in, that, in this case scenario, maybe you did need him because we wound up losing the game when he wasn't in the lineup. Yeah, I agree. I feel like it was a precautionary thing that the Yankees were doing, but still, I, I feel like they would have been better off just saying, oh, let's give him a precautionary day rather than bring up the hip soreness part. Yeah. Because yeah. it always feels – is it just me or does it always seem like Aaron Judge like gets hurt at, like, at the wrong time or at least whenever he's starting to get on a roll? Oh, of course. I mean, that listen, that happens to all players, right? Just when mm-hmm. just when you have a high with them, it, it goes straight down to a low, right? I mean, you talked about it uh, or maybe talking about it soon, but like Fernando Tatis had the highest expectation probably of anybody in baseball this season, oh. lasted three games into the season. And then, then now it's, you know, you're looking at, you don't even know when he's coming back. Yeah, that one was a killer. And I'm obviously going to talk about that when I get to my big takeaways of the season, but that's a pretty big loss. And for all I know, I think the Tatis injury could very well change the way the NL goes, and I think it'll probably affect the wild card race too considerably. But uh, let's get to this comment by Chris Pauls. Yankees should have kept Girardi too, never liked his firing. Yeah, I agree. I was always a big Girardi fan. I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't always agree with how he handled the bullpen at times, but at the very least, he was old school, and I think he definitely was someone that was that – got the Yankees to perform better than what they were during like the years where they were kind of mediocre. I, I really wish Girardi was kind of around to see this whole rebuilding process co- go full circle, but it is what it is. I don't have a time machine to, to travel back and fix that. When and I look, when I look back on it real quick, Hank is a Yankee fan. It, it sucks because his last season was 2017, right? Right. And that was the same year that the Astros cheated. That was and my after favorite that, team yeah, and, and after that he got, fired or, or let go on good terms, whatever it was, it sucks that that, 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 that might've caused the firing of him, that if the Yankees would have eclipsed and went to the world series and maybe even won it, he'd still be a part of the team. Actually, I've heard, I've heard reports saying that Brian Cashman didn't really want to keep him around. I mean, if you look at the way the Yankees are structured, Brian Cashman kind of adapted to the new school analytic stuff. And Joe Girardi kind of clashed with that personality-wise, so it seemed to me like he probably wasn't going to be back one way or another. Even if they won the World Series, you don't think that they would have kept him as the manager? I don't know. That's something that that Cashman and the Steinbrenners have both been on record saying. Either way, it stinks, because I really think Joe Girardi did a a better job than people realize, and I never really quite understood the bad rap he got as a Yankee manager. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. Anyways, I think... One of the other big things that happened during the series was I know Jay Bruce obviously didn't have that good game against the Orioles, but he did have that big home run against the Blue Jays in game two. That was his 34th birthday, incidentally, and he also made a good play at the plate throwing out Vlad Jr. What do you think of that one? I mean, it's great, right? This was a guy that was struggling to make the roster, didn't have the greatest of spring trainings, and I think he actually made the roster, Hank, because somebody got injured. Right up until yes. the roster cut down. He may, I forgot. Who, Voight. Oh, Voight. Yeah, that's what it was. Voight had the meniscus tear. And if Voight didn't have that, he probably wouldn't even be on this roster right now. Hey, so every day that he plays, he's proving himself to try to, you know, keep himself within this MLB lineup. And I think, I think it was James who brought it up the other night, you know, having Jay Bruce on your team with the ballpark that Yankee stadium is, that's a player friendly park, especially for a, a bat like Jay Bruce. So, you know, you, you hope to see him eventually, you know, work himself back into the lineup because I know they've already moved uh, DJ to first base now, which Bruce was playing in that Toronto series. So we'll see what happens in terms of his availability on the field. And then I think the other key thing from that Baltimore series was Garrett Cole. He went seven shutout innings. I know he didn't – I wouldn't say his opening day start was horrible. I know he had that rough second inning where everyone kept getting base hits, but then you had the Teoscar Hernandez home run to tie the game. But – in this game, Garrett Cole pretty much did what an ace is supposed to go out there, dominate, and obviously pitching take him out after setting was seven was totally reasonable because you're up seven nothing. It's early in the season. You don't really you don't really want to blow out his arm. And uh Garrett Cole just gives you that sense. And 
it's really been a while since we've had a pitcher like this. I want to say prime CC where you just feel like every time he goes out there, the Yankees are going to win. And he has that mentality too, that you haven't really seen in a long time from an ace pitcher in New York. Yeah. I mean, and Hank, you go back to last season and maybe last season, obviously is a small sample size, not much to judge, uh, not based, not too much to judge based off that. But in his Yankee career so far, he really hasn't had a, a bad start. You know what I mean? Like he's had a lot of good ones. He hasn't really had any notable bad ones. I wouldn't say this was a bad one. I would say poor timing or maybe because, you know, what we're seeing in baseball and you're seeing what a lot of the starting pitchers, Hank, is that a lot of these teams, even if their pitchers are going to the sixth inning, if they're going late in the fifth, they're still getting pulled at 77 pitches. I think he got pulled at almost 100 pitches. He had like 97 pitches in that first outing, which was kind of, I guess you would say, I don't want to say concerning, because when you have an ace as dominant as him, you want him to play for as long as he can within the game because you know no matter how deep your bullpen is or no how, no matter how good you think they are, that's the guy that gives you the best opportunity to win and stop the other team offensively. But still, reaching almost 90 pitches, you know, opening day, uh, reaching almost 100 pitches, excuse me, on opening day, I, don't, I think that's kind of where the game started to slip away, and that's why you saw the home run uh, get let up. And I think that's where they tied it, too, too, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with I think Sam brings up this comment, and I think she's right. I saw a headline today that says, watching Garrett pull boost by serotonin levels. Yeah, I could totally see that. And like I said, I haven't really felt that way about a Yankee starting pitcher since since prime CeCe. Like, we're talking 2009 until 2012. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, he's been great. And now, of course, last but not least, before I let you go, we got we to gotta get into full detail about that last game against Baltimore. That was pretty controversial and really frustrating. I would say Jamison Tyon, all things considered, did okay. He wasn't terrible. I know he gave up those two home runs, but he, he pretty much gave you what you wanted to see if you shut out innings to start. But then, obviously, they removed him after 74 pitches. I think it was the fifth inning, which is probably for the best because, again, much like Corey Kluber, this is a guy coming off Tommy John. You don't really want to burn this guy out too hard. But I, I see – I see the potential of Jameson Tyon to be a number two starter for sure. Yeah, I think he'll slowly elevate himself up to that. Obviously, like he's another guy just like Kluber that hasn't played baseball in a while. It's been about two years for him as well since he's thrown. Because he didn't play yet last year, right, Hank? I think he only pitched like one or two innings too. That Yeah, it might have been something like that as well, just like the Kluber Barely, incident. But he basically hasn't pitched in over two seasons. And, you know, working him into the system as well, these are the days in the month of you know April and May where you could experiment with your lineup, see where you're going to go at, out with your pitchers and your lineup, see what works, see what doesn't, and then elevate them and start giving them you know those six, seven innings to go. Because like I said earlier, right, Garrett Cole is going five innings, reaches 97 pitches, but Jamison Tyon is getting pulled after – it wasn't five. It was like four and two-thirds, I think it was, and he only threw 70-something pitches. Yeah, so they'll, they'll slowly right. they'll slowly elevate themselves to that level and get themselves back to that baseball form and baseball shape, but that's going to take time. That's going to take starts and able to do that. Exactly, and I agree. But I think the thing that bothered me about this game, as I mentioned before, they went three for fourteen with runners in scoring position. One of the things that was obviously a tough sign was seeing Gary hit that single that probably could have been more than one base, but obviously he probably thought that that left fielder was going to catch it. So. Again, maybe, just maybe, I'll be willing to give him a pass on that one. But th- there's a reason he was pinch hit, pinch run four anyways by Mike Talkman. And he just barely beat out that double, too. By, or, I'm sorry, he barely beat, beat the throw to home plate on that double by Gio Rochella that tied the game. And um, now, granted, obviously, we can talk about extra innings and the whole runner on second rule. I have been on record multiple times saying I hate that rule. I don't really see why it was something that was added. Maybe Manfred wanted to speed up the game, but either way, it's just it's I, a rule I, that's bush league in my opinion. I I get a take on that. I don't understand how adding the man on second enhances the ability to speed up the game. I feel like that makes it longer. Because if it makes it longer, it puts more pressure on the opposing pitcher to throw out his best stuff. And maybe that's an incident where you say, "Oh no, nerves," you know, cause him to make mistakes. I think it having men on base causes the game to go longer versus not having men on base. That's my personal take, but I don't get that rule either. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, 
I, I can definitely see it giving the pitchers an extra amount of pressure. And if it, especially if it's a guy who's fast and he's leaning towards second, I think he's going to keep throwing pickoffs second to try keeping honest. So yeah, I feel like it's kind of counterproductive. And again, it's the idea of having a runner on second. I think not only that, it kind of gives the, the road team more of an advantage in an extra inning, so to speak, if that makes sense. So yeah, I, yeah, I understand it, what you're saying. It's, it's really, it makes things dicey come extra innings, but that's not really the real reason. It's just the idea of having around second, like start extra inning just makes no sense. I yeah. think extra, the thing about extra innings, when teams start those innings, I feel like it's better that they earn those games. Like having a runner on second, it means they're like giving them to teams. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, hmm. Okay. How about this one? Hank, I don't know if you'll, uh, this is this is the closest thing that I think I can compare it to. In college football, when it goes to overtime, they put the opposing team, uh, they they don't it doesn't work like a normal football game where you kick off and you drive yourself down the field. They put themselves, I believe it's at the 30 or 25 yard line, and what other team comes away with points uh first. It works like football where whoever scores a touchdown first wins the game. But if they score a field goal, it goes to the opposing team. But instead of kicking off, they start right back at that same position on the opponent's uh, 30-yard line with the ability to score in the end zone. It's kind of like that. You're, you're throwing a team a bone for not being able to complete the, complete the game in yep. regulation, almost, in a sense. Yeah, I agree. But with that being said, it doesn't take away from the fact that they were unable to capitalize on earlier opportunities that they missed. And it also doesn't take away from the fact that with two outs in the 10th inning, Glaber probably should have made the play, although – then again, maybe if a, if a healthy Texan is prime was at first, maybe they make that play. But again, I don't really want to make excuses. It was a bad throw that cost the Yankees the game. Well, kind of, because technically they did tie it in the bottom of the inning. But then again, let's assume that everything plays out as it does. The Yankees probably win that game if Flavor fields that cleanly. So that was a really frustrating loss. And, you know, unfortunately, you can't really take those back. It is what it is. Three and three, though, all things considered, it's not too bad. I'm really, um, I'm really looking forward to how seeing how this season plays out, and I'm really, you know, antsy to see how, like how Baltimore does the rest of the season. I mean, they got off a pretty good start. They they swept Boston at Fenway Park. I don't know how they did today. I think they were tied with Boston after like the first few innings. Um, I think they wanted up losing because Boston has won four straight. So Boston's like four and three right now. I'm telling you, Boston's going to be more of a threat than people realize. They have a decent lineup. I think, though, yeah, I don't know the availability or timetable for Chris Sale to return, but I would assume that he'd be returning at some point this season. So that, again, we remember how he exited as one of the top pitchers in baseball. So when he comes back, he'll definitely be a threat. Definitely. And uh, I think, so what are your thoughts going up to the Rays series? To be honest, not so not so good, and it's not because I don't want to be optimistic, but Hank, you know this as a Yankees fan as well. It's like the Tampa Bay Rays, no matter we play them at their stadium or we play them home, they're our kryptonite. They're our kryptonite. Yeah. We, we haven't seemed to be able to get over that hump. I can't even think. When was the last time we won a series against them, Hank? Let's it feels see. like – because forget about winning games because we win a game here and there against the Rays. No, yeah. Winning a series against them – I can't even remember the last time that's happened. It feels like forever because every single time we play them, we just can't close out the game. That's a good question because I remember – I have to really think about that because Tampa Bay – well, first of all, there's a reason I call that place the circus tent. Look at the roof of that thing. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think they won a series there in 2020. I know they didn't win a series there in 2020, and I don't think they won a series there at all in 2019. In fact, I remember there was one year – where it didn't look like the Rays were going to be a very good se- good team, but then they ended up winning ninety something games and almost made it to the wild card, and they ended up sweeping the Yankees. And that might have that might have been the key to them being in competition for longer than they were than they were supposed to. I want to say maybe twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen. I can't really remember. It you'll feels so to, long ago. You'll have to search that up as a as another fun fact for next week because it's got to It's I, I don't know if it's that long, but it feels like a long time. Because I was about to say twenty seventeen was the last time they won a series against Tampa on the road, but then I remembered that was the weekend. That was the week we had to play them at, at a City Field because the there was hurricanes in the area. If you remember, yeah, I do remember. So that was their last road win against Tampa, but it comes with an asterisk. 
<laughs> and uh, let me um, post up Tom's comment. Yankees seem to get off to a slow start every year, but unload two to three weeks in. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I'm really not overly concerned about this three and three start, despite the fact that there were at least two of those games that they could have won. And yeah. um, would love to know. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. It, it's really, really is, is an interesting article. But um, Kyle, before I let you go, do you have any more thoughts about the Yankees that you want to give out before we let you go? Yeah, Hank, one last thing before uh, I sign off here. Like you said, uh, right, it's not so they not so much to be worried about, but when you had a season like last year, I think the Yankees going to that Baltimore game had won 12 straight against the Orioles. you got to take advantage of those teams where, yes, there's still a baseball team. You're, you're still a yeah. baseball club, a major league organization that still has quality players on the roster. But knowing that you have that type of dominance over them, you got to take advantage of those wins because when you go down to the end of the season, I'm not saying you're looking all the way back to April, but you're going to say, man, we really lost the game to Baltimore. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Thanks again for joining us, Kyle, and I will see you definitely later on down the road for the show. Thanks for having me, Hank. No problem. That was Kyle Russo, and always a pleasure having him, having him talk Yankees. You can follow him on the main show, Review and Preview. And now that I've talked my fair share about the Yankees, I'd like to get into the other team from Queens, New York Mets, and very shortly we will be having Paul Lombardi be joining us on the show to, to, to discuss his New York Mets. Paul, by the way, you can also follow on the 3 and D. That is a show where he talks mostly about basketball, particularly with his Knicks, but he also knows a good amount of baseball, so that's why we will be having him very soon. But anyways, the Mets obviously had a later start to the season than usual. Their first series with the Nationals was postponed as a result of the COVID outbreak in the Washington dugout. So unfortunately their seek their series this weekend had to go, had to get a later start. And uh, let me go back to a comment that Tom made earlier. He said, Michael Conforto turned heel today. Man wants his money. Yeah. I'm going to be talking about that. Michael Conforto at bat very soon. It was a very controversial at bat in this game. I think, you can argue that the that the Mets stole one for the Mar- from the Marlins, and I would probably say that they did because if you look at the replay, his elbow was blatantly going through the strike zone, and I think he totally leaned in. But with that having said, what if I'm going to play devil's advocate right here for you guys? The Marlins were the ones that, you know, they gave up a home run to Jeff McNeil. Tie, tie game, and then you leave the bases loaded after that big hit from Brandon Nimmo to put him on second, third. You walk Lindor to load them, which makes sense. One out, you want to set up the double play. But then, of course, that leaves you with the conundrum of putting the bases loaded, and it leaves the pitcher with little margin fair. So as much as you want to say that they got that the Marlins got screwed, which I'm not going to argue they didn't, I'm also not going to say that the Mets didn't fight just to make that a game the way it was. So I, I would agree, Tom, that that was a good – that was kind of a smart play by Conforto, though, because you never know when the umpire is going to make those calls. And at the same time, yeah, I'm sure he does want his money. I, I, they probably could use him as a free agent later on. So obviously, we know the Mets start off with their first week series against the Philadelphia Phillies. Jacob DeGrom pretty much did what he usually does. He throws six scoreless innings, absolutely dominant over the Phillies. I think he even hit an RBI single, too. He gave him a 2 nothing lead, but... The one decision that to me did not make sense was Luis Rojas pulled him after throwing only 77 pitches. Now, granted, it's early in the season. You don't want your pitcher to burn himself out that early. I get it. But with that having been said, we've seen this time and time again with Jacob DeGrom. You can't necessarily rely on the bullpen to close things out. You got to let your starter do his thing. And if he's rolling at only 77, might as well keep him in. What's the use of like taking him out so early, you know? But, um, yeah, anyways, that, w- that wasn't even the only bad decision that they made in that game. I think putting Kevin Pillar at the top of the lineup in favor of Don Smith also did not really make sense. Smith was one of their best bats last season, and I think they definitely could have used him to get some good hits in key moments of that game. But, again, who knows? Luis Roja made his own decisions. I We're not necessarily agree with him, but these things happen, and uh, – as a result, we know the Mets are up 2 nothing. Bottom of the eighth inning, the Phillies end up loading the bases and get some key hits to take the lead, and they went on to win 5-2, to two, or 5-3, to three rather, because the Mets got to run in the ninth inning. Now, unfortunately, I have to give you guys a not-so-fun fact about Jacob deGrom. Since 2018, 
he has been involved in an astounding 33 no decisions. 33. And you want to know what his ERA is? 1.76. That's amazing. And uh, let me bring up Tom's comment. I agree with Manning on the call, but the Marlins put themselves in a bad spot. Yes, 100%, Tom. I agree with you. That is exactly right. I, I re- it, It's gotten to a point where I really feel for Jacob McGrom. And I don't know how he's been so loyal with the Mets. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's a great pitcher, and I don't blame him. He must really love playing Queens, and anyone who thrives in New York wants to stay there for a long time. But considering how often he's had no decisions and considering how often the Mets have blown a lead when, with him pitching, and that's an ama- astounding 11 times, it, it's insane. And not only that, the record the Mets have when he takes the mound, 36 and 41. Like, again, this guy is the ace of their staff. You would think it would be a lot better than that. It just never made sense to me. However, the Mets, of course, would rebound the next day. They got their first win. Pete Alonzo hit his 70th career home run in that game. And I believe he's one of the fastest players that has reached that number. And Dom Smith also homered in his first at out of the season and also helped that Kevin Pillar would have a big seal at home. Kevin Pillar, by the way, as much as you can disagree with the manager for putting him lead off in the opening day a lineup, I think that was a solid acquisition. As a Yankee fan, as, a, as someone who's watched his fair share of American League East games, I have seen him play center field for many a year. He's really fast, and he's someone that could really give you that spark off off the bench if like it comes to that point. He's really someone that could provide some speed. So that might be the reason why Luis Rojas batted him lead off in opening day. But in any event, the Mets won their first game. The third game obviously was a rough one. They had a D- David Tim Peter or David Peterson rather gave up four runs in that first inning. The big, the big one coming off that three-run home run from Alec Bohm, and then JT Realmuto put the nail in the coffin with another three-run home run. So the Mets really had had a tough time in that one. They weren't going to win that game. So today was the beginning of a new era for the Mets. They started off with their home opener against the Miami Marlins, and it was the first game, by the way, for Steve Cohen as the owner. And let me give show Tom's comment. It made sense to use Pilar that day going up against, against the lefty. Actually, Tom, you bring up a good point. That is true. So, again, makes some of the decisions you can make sense of. Doesn't mean I'm going to agree with them. But back to opening day, it was the first one for Steve Cohen in the new era for the Mets. They they were up one nothing. I believe it was Dom Smith who had a deep sacrifice fly in the warning track. Marlins, of course, would take the 2-1 two, two to one lead in the fifth inning. And it looked like it was going to be another one of those tough losses for the Mets because they had left a lot of guys in scoring position. But then in the ninth inning, you guys remember what happened. Jeff McNeil came up clutch with the big solo home run to tie the game for the Mets. And then, of course, you had the bases loaded. There was a runner on first. Brandon Nimmo hit a double down the line that at first glance, I kind of thought was going to be the game winner for the Mets. But Probably smart that they held the guy up at third, and obviously you're going to walk Francisco Lindor to, in those situations because you want to have the base loaded with one out. You want to set the double play up, and of course that sets up Michael Ford. It was an 0-2 count. Ball was right in the strike zone. Sneaks his elbow right in there, gets hit by the pitch to win the game. You want to call it taken for the team, or you want to call it cheating? I don't know. I'm not going to take any side in that argument. Obviously, we know the rule is if you lean in, you're supposed to at least try to avoid hitting the pitch or in those situations. At least that's what the rule is. But in any event, the umpire gave him first base and that was it. And to talk more about this game, we have our next guest coming up for our show. And that is the 3 and D zone, Paul Lombardi. Paul, how's it going? You must be pretty ecstatic right now, buddy. I got to tell you, I'm pretty ecstatic. Uh, it was an incredible finish. Uh extremely controversial i gotta say uh obviously um a win's a win though and i'll take that that was a game that we had to win you know would have been tough going down one and three so so i like it i think i think it was good um it was just you're gonna have to have an asterisk next to it though for sure i mean you could say that but what if i were to play devil's advocate and you might be surprised that i'm giving you this argument as a yankee fan but i've seen games where you've gotten screwed out of that so that's true that's Are very you true want to put an asterisk on that i mean hey listen i've seen the yankees win many a game like that so hey, I'm not being a hypocrite i've seen the yankees win certain games like that and i've seen 
I've seen the Yankees get the benefit of those calls, and I've seen the games where the Yankees get screwed out of those calls. So really, at the end of the day, it goes both ways. Hey, I personally think that there was nothing wrong with it. I saw so many people bashing Conforto about him and stuff too, and it's like they, it's not it's not his fault. You know, he did whatever he could to win the game. The pro, the difficult thing was it was a bad call and it wasn't a reviewable play, which yeah. which the MLBs definitely got to change. You know, in order to to be able to review that, but it was just a terrible call, and it's on the umpires. You know, there's uh, and sometimes games get cold like that. I completely agree with. Uh, you know, Mattingly and the Marlins being upset. Yeah. As a Met, as a Mets fan, I'm happy though. Of course, I figured. Now, obviously, I think we should also talk about the first series of the Phillies because I know the first game was a real blow for you. Like Jacob Degrom, as I mentioned, this guy has had an astounding 33 no decisions. If I've that w- this was a number I looked up on Twitter, and it, it's really mind blowing because over the it's amazing how he never really complained about this in all his years in the Mets, but I guess that shows you what a good teammate he is. Yeah. First game of the season was ridiculous. Um, Rojas just overmanaged the entire game. Uh, I think it was, it was bad pulling DeGrom that early. Obviously that was the obvious one, but the one that stuck out for me from the second I've read the opening day lineup was how Dom Smith wasn't in the lineup just because it was a lefty. Uh, I think it was pretty ridiculous. You know, Kevin Pillar is a good player. Um, and I know that he gives you better defense in center field than Nimmo does, and Nimmo gives you better defense in left field than Dom Smith does. But, you know, what's the difference of playing Dom Smith against a righty then you you have worse defense? You know, there isn't. So I think that Dom, Dom should have been in the lineup, and we could have potentially won the game too if Dom was in the lineup. Uh, they, it, was, it was terrible. The bullpen imploded, um, and it wasn't necessarily their fault either. DeGrom should have gone at least through the seventh and then you could have had Castro come in the eighth and Diaz in the ninth for a potential save and you probably would have won yeah I think I could understand I could I can understand why he might have wanted to take him out again I'm playing devil's advocate I'm not saying I agree with Luis Rojas at all like maybe you don't want to burn the guy's arm out for the rest of the season but with that being said at 77 pitches in the sixth inning that's kind of ridiculous this is your ace pitcher you know what he's capable of doing He's obviously on a roll. Let him pitch another inning. That's my honest take of the whole thing. And I agree with you. You want to let guys like Miguel Castro or whoever give him another – have a clean inning, and maybe it's smooth sailing for the Mets. Now, obviously, we don't know whether or not Edwin Diaz blows a save, but at at the very least, the Mets wouldn't have been in a better position to win with with all that being said. Oh, that's for sure. And I think that's – Who would have bases, by the way, in the eighth inning? What was that? Who's the guy that loaded the bases in the eighth inning? Uh, Trevor May. Yeah. And then, and then Aaron Loop hits Bryce, Bryce Harper, which sent the run home. But it was Trevor May that imploded big time in the uh, in the eighth right. inning. Castro pitched a great seventh inning. And then in May, uh, yeah, May didn't do well. But exactly. I think that it's just overmanaging – a lot of people think that, you know, it could have been good to have Pilar start opening day, but it's Tom's comment, by the way, classic 2018. Why does the offense ever show up when DeGrom's out there? But then the next day, Stroman gets like five to six runs. It's true. It's true. They scored so much for Stroman the next day. It's, it's really amazing. There's just year after year. And we, no matter who we sign, no matter who's on the team, no matter who's in the starting lineup, no matter who's pitching, you know, who's running our front office, who owns the team. It doesn't even matter because DeGrom won't get any run support. That's just something that's going to happen regardless. And I feel bad for the guy. It's, it's unbelievable. Obviously it's only the first few games of the season. Let's hope that something big changes with them. We have too good of an offense to give DeGrom only one or two runs per game. It's pathetic, honestly. And if this keeps up this year, it's extremely pathetic. So they, I've, I've got hopes, though. Our offense is too good to, to keep that terrible streak going on. I, th- I feel like maybe the Mets don't have as much fire with DeGrom, bec- like the lineup, because I feel like it's an easy win. I don't know. That's just my yeah. theory. I'm not 100% sure because obviously I'm a Yankee fan, but that's just my hypothesis. I really don't know what it is. It's a good question. I have I have no clue what it is because – they, they could think it's an easy win, but we're under 500 when DeGrom pitches tremendous just because we can't score any runs. Yeah, it's completely on the offense. 36 and 41, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's unbelievable. And not only that, they 
that's the 11th time they've blown a lead with him on the mound. Yeah. It's like it's historically bad. And he'll leave the game too with a lead with a one or two run lead and stuff. And a lot of times the bullpen blows it for him too, as we saw um, on Thursday night. So, and like I said, even as a Yankee fan, I feel for the guy. Like, one of the best pitchers that I've seen. Like, and to show you again that I'm not too biased, I think he might be one of, if not the best pitchers in the whole league. So it's tough to see something like this from him. But in any event, let's talk about the second game they won. Now, Dom Smith, I believe, hit a home run in his first at-bat, right? He did. A uh, high fastball. Um, that's why he's got to be in the lineup. He's he's probably our second-best pure hitter behind Lindor. And, you know, that could be a bold statement or something, but I, he is. He's been proving it. He's been more consistent as a pure hitter than, uh, than Pete and Conforto have, at least especially to start the season. It's been only the first few games. Um and Pete's our best power hitter, but Dom Smith is an elite bat, and he's turning, and he's becoming an elite bat too, um, across all of baseball, not just an elite bat with the Mets team. Uh, so he's got to be in, he's got to be in the lineup every single day. There's no excuse for it. Uh, I know, I know it's difficult with the DH. It obviously would have worked so much better if we had a DH. We're we're the probably the one team in baseball that suffers the most from not having a DH uh, in the National League, just because our team is kind of designed to have a DH, but I watch every single Mets game and Dom Smith's defense in left field too is not great, but he's come, he's come a long way and he's a little bit slow out there, but he's got a great arm. Uh, he's always had a great arm and he, he knows what he's doing too. He's not a complete liability in left field. Like you're sticking some random guy out there. He really right. isn't. Of course. Uh, he, he does, he makes some good catches. You know, he does, he does have an idea of what he's doing. He has a good baseball mind, and he's it's good enough. And Nimmo's good enough in center field, too. So I think he's got to be in the lineup every day, and he showed it in game two how he's got to be in the lineup every day with his home run. And today, you know, he had a sack fly today. He If it, if that ball landed, Starling Marte made an amazing catch up against the wall, which made it a sack fly. But if that ball gets down, he has a three RBI double that probably we're probably not even talking about the Conforto hit by pitch right now. If if that was the case, and that should have been the case if Starling Marte wasn't you know a Gold Glove center fielder out there. But that's that that's why Dom Smith got to be in the middle of that order every single day, and that's when you're going. That's how you're going to score most of your runs. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I and you know, it's times like this where I definitely would argue for the DH. As you know, obviously, maybe it's with my AL bias. I'm very much pro DH, although I also think pitchers should give be given the option depending on how good they are. Yeah. But obviously, we know I'm going to talk about later for another pitcher that hit a big home run. But anyways, I'm we're still on the Mets right now. So, the third game obviously, we know that was a disaster. David Peterson from an yeah. outsider's perspective, I take it David Peterson is probably one of your like more inferior pitches in that rotation. David Peterson had a great rookie year last year, and he was one of our better prospects. Um, I'm still, you know, it was a bad outing, and Philly's got a good offense, and it was at Citizens Bank Park, which is, you know, a band box, as everybody right. knows. Right. Uh, Alec Bohm hit a bomb off of him, and he kind of just imploded. But I think he's good. There, There's been issues with him in his eye. Uh, in strike throwing and being a little wild at times too. And he showed that during spring training a bit. So people were questioning if he was going to start off in the minors. I think if Carrasco didn't get hurt, there was a possibility that he would have started in the minors. And if he was going to keep this up, they might option him back down um, eventually. And I, Peterson was great last year. And I really think that, uh, that he's going to be a good MLB pitcher. He's just he's still young and he still struggles at times. And he's got his MLB, he's got his minor league options. He can go up and down. And we've got depth with starting pitching too. So I it, it was it was Peterson and Peterson imploded a lot last a lot uh, yesterday for their third game. But uh, the bats also weren't going at all. You know, Conforto left eight guys on base. Uh, he went zero for five. The, you know, you're not going you're not going to win games even if you give up a few runs by doing that. Makes sense. Uh, now, before before I shift gears and go to my key takeaways from the, for around the league, uh, what what are your thoughts on the rest of the series with the Marlins and like the Mets so far overall? Like for the first week of the season, I think it's been good. I think you know, 
I think we should be three and one if it wasn't for you know that bad call. But obviously we get we get a gift today, so you know that kind of make that in a way makes up for opening day with making the bad calls. But I don't know, two and two is fine. I think it's off to a good start. You got to beat up on the Marlins as much as you can because it's it's going to be tough all season long playing as the Phillies, Nationals, and the Braves. So it, we're going to all be duking it out for the top of that that division. So you got to beat up on the Marlins when you get the chance. So I would really. We get this one win. I hope we get two out of three this weekend at least. That that would be big. You know, head in, head back into the uh, Phillies upcoming Phillies series, and then we have the Rockies and then the Nationals, I believe. Um, after that, so the, I think, uh, the, you know, just gotta just gotta keep rolling and see how it goes. We got Degrom on the mound uh, Saturday, so got the day off tomorrow. So just keep it rolling and, you know, hopefully get some more W's. All right. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent analysis about the Mets. I think they should be in good shape. It's going to be obviously, it's obviously going to be a bloodbath between the whole division because there's yeah. no, there's no one team in the NL East that is a gimme. And I even could see the Phillies low key being a team that like shocks people yeah. as a prize contender. But in, in any event, Let's get to some of the key takeaways, and I'm I'm sure you probably will have an opinion on some of these that I'm about to, to discuss, too. The first one, I hate to say this, but as much as I, I can't stand this team, the Astros are legit. And I've been saying that, like, even before the season. Their lineup is stacked. You still have the core infield of Bregman, Correa, Altuve, and it was a big reason as to why they outscored the Oakland A's 35-9. And by the way, I'll give you a fun fact. This is only the fourth team in Major League history score at least eight runs in their first four games. They joined the 03 Yankees and 95 Red Sox and the 78 Milwaukee Brewers as such teams. And the, the other big win in that stretch was they split the angels. And in the one win, they had a big home run from Carlos Correa. I, I said the Astros were in the division. I'm sticking with that. That offense is really good pitching wise. I'm not sure if, if they're among the best, but I'm, I would still be worried about the Astros for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, pitching wise, do they don't necessarily have to have, they have good enough starters to get them by too. Uh, Zach Grinke's great. And they've got McCullers, Odorizzi, or Kite. They have, they've got some good, they've got some good, decent guys to fill out the rotation, but it's the offense that's really doing yeah. it. And, you know, as much as us, you know, East coast baseball fans don't want to see the Astros do anything. Basically anybody besides Houston Astros fans, yeah. Uh, don't want to see them do anything. They have Oakland's number though too. They always beat up on Oakland. The the Oakland can't find a way to beat to beat them ever. It seems like so. I I think the Astros have gotten off to a hot start. My preseason was picks was the uh, was the Oakland A's. Um, just because I feel like throughout a 162 game season they always figure out a way to piece things together and make a big push. And I thought the Trevor Rosenthal pickup was going to be big, but it just came out that he's going to miss a few months because of um, has to have some type of surgery, not Tommy John surgery though. But James Paxton's having Tommy John surgery too. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I did. I'm glad the Yankees avoided that uh, bullet right there. Yeah, that stinks for the Mariners because he's done for the year and done for a, a good chunk of 2022 probably as well. Speaking of guys that are out with Tommy John, the Astros don't even have Justin Verlander. And considering where he's at age-wise, he might not even be back at all. Yeah. They they said potentially by playoffs he could be back, but, you know, he's going to be 38. How effective is he even going to be? You know, he's he's one of those guys that's gotten better with age, definitely kind of resurrected his career with the Astros. But, you know, after, after a big surgery like Tommy John surgery when you're 38 years old, like, it's going to be interesting to see. And he's a free agent after this year, I believe, anyway. So, you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of question marks around, around Verlander, but they might have him back by playoff time. That would be, like, the earliest, I think. Right. Now, uh, up next, I'd like to talk about um, – I'd like to segue this into another team right here, the Angels in their division. Shohei Otani had that historic performance. I don't know if you caught that Sunday night baseball game. That was insane. Oh, yeah. I saw highlights. Third innings. He hit that 450-foot bomb. What was your take on this? I thought it was impressive. Well, I think Otani's finally locked in. I think he's fully healthy. Um, that's the key because he looks great pitching-wise, too. And obviously, he had Tommy John surgery, so he, he's been you know a little inconsistent pitching. He wasn't great last year when they finally – he didn't pitch at all in 2019, I don't think. And then 2020, he pitched a little bit and got just shelled. 
but he's finally back. He looks fully healthy, and this is the Otani that we were promised, I think. This is we're going to finally see him uh, at his best, both hitting and pitching, and I'm, I'm hyped to see it because I think the Angels, you know, there's a lot of talk with Oakland and Houston in that division. You know, the Angels have a lot of question marks with pitching, but if you have Trout, Rendon, and Otani locked in the middle, middle of that order, they're going to score some ridiculous runs, and they're going to they're going to make a tough push for that division too. If they're all locked in and healthy, I I think Otani that's going to be huge. Yeah, I think low key the Angels could sneak up and be a good um, second place team, maybe a wild card winner. Hope I hope they keep competing. Mike Trout deserves to have a good playoff run. I don't think he's really had a legit shot at one before, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how they do. I think they could be very good. It's too early to tell, but hopefully, you know, we got our fingers crossed. But let, before I get to the next takeaway, let me give you some fun facts about um, Shohei Otani's home run. It was the first time a pitcher hit batted second in a game since 1903. And it was also the first time since 1972, because obviously that was the last year that pitcher that there was no DH that a pitcher was able to home run, hit a home run in a non-interleague game. Unfortunately. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it's pretty impressive. And, the third fun fact in this is that he's also the first pitcher since 2009 to to bat in a game that's not in the league because you might remember Joe Madden accidentally forgot to put in a DH in his lineup and had the pitcher bat ninth, which for those who don't know, that's totally a thing. That can totally happen where a pitcher bats in a game if a manager decides. But in any event, it was the first time I, – I don't really know the first time where it happened non-accidentally – but all I know is it's the first time since 09 where that happened, where a pitcher was able to bat for the AL in a regular game. Yeah. And obviously we know the tough part was he had to leave due to a scary collision at the plate, but it shows, it shows you why people were hyped up about this guy coming into the season. Next takeaway is Akil Badu. He had a really historic start of the season home run on the first pitch. He saw a few days later, he hits a grand slam and, and then this came despite a 15 to six loss to the Minnesota Twins. And the next day he hits a walk-off single. I mean, I don't know how much hope the Tigers have, but if this guy can keep it going, I think he might, he might generate some buzz and excitement in Detroit. I think it's sick. I think it's a great story. A rule five draft pick too. You know, yeah. nobody wanted him. He wasn't a big prospect and he's played great this year. He's been raking and I, you know, the Tigers might be finally piecing something together. They're not going to be competitive this year. That's for that's for sure, and maybe not next year. But it's, it almost seems like there is some hope. You know, you got Casey Mize coming up, you got Tariq Skubal coming up, Mad Manning should be coming up too. Uh, bunch of bunch of their top prospects who are starters. Uh, you got Torkelson who should be up eventually, power hitting mm-hmm. first baseman. Uh, so they so they're starting to put they're starting to put some things together, and uh, you know, I think I think it's it was a cool story. You know, he was kind of like just an add on. He played well in spring training. Uh, they just gave him a shot, and and he's been great so far. I hope that he keeps it up. So let me get so before I get to my next takeaway, let me uh, review some more comments. Peterson was was the second best. Yes, I think that's definitely what we alluded to. I don't, I don't well, really. I, know what, last season, he definitely was yeah. because we didn't really have anything else. Our starting pitching was horrible. And then Aaron Gebhardt says, speaking of DH, Degrom got his first hit of the Mets season. Yeah, I mean Degrom. Pretty good. You guys have had a history of had pretty good pitchers, no? Yeah, good, great pitch. I mean, Degrom, Syndergaard. When we had Mats, when we had Harvey, they were all good hitting pitchers. For like, as far as pitchers, as far as a hitting pitcher goes, you know, like a two thirty hitting pitcher is is a great hitting pitcher, something like that. So that you know, they we've always had good hitting pitchers. We've always had guys that can hit home runs. Um, and DeGrom was drafted as a shortstop too. So he's not, he's not inexperienced with the bat at all. Definitely doesn't practice it that much, but yeah, no, he, he got some big hits. I mean, it's, it's funny over the last couple of years when DeGrom has gotten no run support, he's done that for himself a lot. It seems like a lot of times he's scored his own runs too, as well as, you know, shutting out the other team. It's, it's insane. First of all, and before I get to my next takeaway again, Thank you guys so much for the comments. I encourage you to keep leaving those comments. We really appreciate it. You guys are just as much of a part of the show as we are. It's a lot of fun and I'm really enjoying this. And now I have a lot to say about this next incident. And I think, you know, from a discussion that we had yesterday that I'm really really passionate about this, but 
I'm going to let you talk about this first. There was the incident with Nick Castellanos. He slid home and got really excited. And then obviously it sparked a bit of a bench clearing brawl and we know it resulted in a suspension, but then he went off the next day for a game, game and home run. However, I think the suspension was very controversial. Do you think it was warranted? I don't think it was warranted at all. I think it was ridiculous. Um, why he got suspended and nobody else did. No one else even got fined. Uh, he was thrown at first too, and then he hit a home run. And you know there was an altercation. Uh, no, but, he, scored, he scored on a wild pitch. The home run happened the day after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The home run happened the day after. Scored on a wild pitch, and yeah, it was like you know talking a little trash to the pitcher while he was laying on the ground when he tried to cover home. Uh, starts walking right away, and Yadier Molina grabs him in the back of the neck, too, as you can like see on the slow-mo instant, re- instant replay, and he didn't get anything for that. I thought it was ridiculous. You know, let it's, you know, baseball, they keep saying, let the kids play, like, let them play. You know, he dude got thrown at, and then he, then he scored on a wild pitch. Like, come on. There, there's going to be some showboating. There's going to be some trash talking, especially – and it, there's no need for a suspension in that kind of situation. I think it's ridiculous. And at least make it a little bit um, consistent, too. If if he gets a suspension, Yachty needs to get a fine at least. You know, maybe not a suspension, but the, there's got to be some stuff that goes around a, a little bit. It can't just be just Castellanos. Yeah. You know, when, he, when it wasn't like he was picking this fight either. He, he did it in retaliation of what they were doing to him. Paul? I'm going to be honest with you. When I heard that he got suspended for these few games, I was absolutely disgusted and infuriated. And you want to know why? It's because of a lot of reasons that you said. Like, they're telling the – this is one of the problems I have with Rod Manfred. You thought that Roger Goodell in the NFL has a really bad suspension system or, like, discipline system of discipline, guys. Rob Manfred's the worst. And yeah. there's a lot that I can say about Rob Manfred that goes beyond this, but I'm not going to get into that. You'll probably hear my full opinion about it in a later show. But you're going to get on a guy who all he did was get excited, like, yeah, we, I just scored. Let's take the lead. And yeah. if you look at the clip to the fight, he didn't even do anything to instigate it or get violent. Yadi was the one that was, like, provoking him. Like, Yadi hit the guy in the back, which, A, that's a big no-no. You get physical, that should that's what should warrant a suspension or a fine. Not celebrating somebody else's face. And you want to know something? It's baseball. People like seeing celebrations. It's the heat of the moment. And one of the things that I have a problem with in baseball is people hate the idea of showing emotion. Like, come on. That's ridiculous. Like, I remember back in high school, one of the guys made a big catch. He showed a lot of excitement. And I remember thinking, you know what? I love that. I want more guys like that. And I think there should be more guys in the MLB that are showing excitement. I think that's one of the reasons for decline decline views. But again, that's an argument for another day. The fact that he gets two games, a two game suspension out of this is it's dumb. Makes it sense. And I love that he had a home run. I love well, first of all, I love that he appealed the suspension because two games for that, that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And I love that he had a home run the next day against the Pirates. Now, granted, I know it's the Pirates, they're pretty much triple A team, but the fact that he had that epic home run, that was great. And I think it gives you a good story about his like maybe little revenge tour, so to speak. Yeah. So exactly. I had to pretty much let let that out. That was my other that was probably my biggest takeaway of the season. But then the last takeaway that I have before I get to my games of the week for next week and before I eventually sign off, Fernando Tatis. This kills me. Fernando yeah. Tatis is probably one of my favorite players to watch in baseball. Like after he hit that grand slam on three and zero, which again goes back to my previous argument of the unwritten rules and all that other dumb stuff, yeah, that guy earned my respect right away. And the Padres were like one of my favorite National League teams. Like since then, I I still do hope they do well. Don't get me wrong, but like him being out with the shoulder subluxation injury, that, that was a freak injury too. First of all, and second of all, I know the Padres have a pretty deep lineup. Don't get me wrong, but that's a pretty devastating blow. Oh, for sure. And thank God it wasn't a much more serious injury than they thought. It's a slight tear in his shoulder. If it was a, if it was a full tear, you know, we could, we, he could be out for almost the entire season too. And that's just not good. You know, he's, he's one of my favorite players too. I love Tatis. He's great. Um, he does everything, you know, and he shows flair too. He's one of these young guys that's bringing 
you know, kind of resurrecting the game and bringing flair yeah. to flair to the game too. And he's one of the young studs in the game. Um, that 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 really sucked. I completely agree. It was tough. I want to see the Padres do well too this year. You know, with the Dodgers being defending champions, it would be nice to see the Padres make it an all-out push. Uh, Wouldn't it be nice to see them overthrow the Dodgers? That would be fantastic if they could win the division. The Dodgers get the wild card. That'd be unbelievable. But yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tough without Tatis. That was tough. That was definitely a difficult injury. But hopefully, it doesn't sideline him for too long, and we will see him back out there soon. I agree. Those injuries are pretty tricky, but we'll have to see. And you know, it's interesting. The Padres started off three and zero. Their bats were exploding, but since Tatis has been out of the lineup, that that offense has been significantly cooled. I mean, Fam and Machado have both gotten off to slow starts, and in addition. They also lead the league with eight errors, so it's not great fundamental baseball. However, yeah. I will say the pitching has been their saving grace. Their ERA is 2.88. Darvish and Musgrove have looked like good pickups. Bullpen's also been really good. It looks like Melanson has pretty much established himself as a lockdown closer and the closer for the team, because I think they kind of were going to go through a bullpen guy committee. But yeah. it does beg the question, are the Padres like still – at a good strength to make a playoff spot or does this open the door for more teams, in the national league to have a chance at making that second wild card spot? I think it's still, I think it's definitely still open. They have a all around great team, mm-hmm. even besides tattoos and, you know, baseball is much more than just one player, obviously, yeah. um, as, as you know, all too well, I think that they still have a, a team designed uh, to be, to be a tough playoff team, a potential national league West winner, Honestly, and I think that they might struggle a little bit without Tatis because he's their big bad in their lineup. But I don't think they'll be too terrible. They've got some great veterans, uh, great pitching. They just got good depth too that can step in. They got Jerks and Profar who can step up and play for uh, Tatis, and they got Sung Kim and Jay Cronenworth. Uh, they got some options, that's for sure. And I think they're still competitive. I agree. I think the NL, the NL wild card will definitely be competitive, but I don't think the pod, this necessarily means the Padres are out. But with that having been said, you don't simply replace a bat like Fernando Tatis. That's pretty hard. Now, sure. now before we're done for the day, let me quickly get up. Let, let's quickly uh, talk about some of these uh, next matchups, or as I like to call it, Hank's picks. So for the games of the weekend, you got Yankees versus the Rays. As much as I'd like to pick the Yankees, I unfortunately think the Rays are probably going to win the series just because I know our track record at Tampa Bay. It's not great. Mets Marlins. I think the Mets probably win the series. Good way to start off uh, Steve Cohen's first week. Angels Blue Jays is another matchup. I like, I think you got Toronto being a, a sneaky contender. Same with the angels. I think that's an early compelling matchup. And then of course we got Dodgers versus the nationals for the Sunday night game of the week, which makes a lot of sense. I have the nationals being a sneaky surprise team that could very well knock the Mets out for the wild card if they're not careful. I really like what they did this offseason. I like their pitching. And the Dodgers, that speaks for itself. So these are the four matchups I have. I think the Dodgers win this series. Do you have any last thoughts before I pretty much let you go? No, not really. Not really anything anything else. It's going to be an interesting weekend of baseball for sure, and I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully Mets can hold on to, uh, to the series against the Marlins. That was Paul Lombardi, and I'd like to say thank you guys again for joining us for another episode of Heading for the Cycle. Folks, if you like what you saw, as I said, give us a follow on our social media, at Review and Freeview Sports. You can follow us on Facebook Live, Instagram, Twitter, and also you'll see the anchor link down below. And also, in addition, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also at Review and Preview Sports. Thanks again, Paul, for joining us. On behalf of Kyle Russo and Paul Lombardi, I'm Hank and Dichter. I'll see you next week.